Open your Bible with me this morning, if you would, please, to James. James chapter 1. James chapter 1. I can draw your attention to verse 19, uh, 18. Let's start with verse 18. James chapter 1, verse 18. Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughty, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he, being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. If any man among you seem to be religious, and bridleth not his song, tongue, excuse me, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that it is your desire to conform every one of us that are here, everyone who's listening somewhere else. Lord, it is your desire to conform each and every one of us to the image of your dear Son. Lord Jesus, we thank you for not only living a perfect life and then laying down that life on our behalf, sacrificing yourself, shedding your blood to pay for our sins, to take our lives, our sinful lives upon you and then give us your life in its place. Thank you, Father, that we have such a, such a secure and such a perfect righteousness. But Lord, we thank you. We know that from the time that you saved us, from the time that we received our Lord Jesus Christ, that you have made us completely fit for heaven because of this righteousness. And yet, Lord, while we've been here, you continue to uh, change us from glory into glory. You continue to grow us in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus. You continue to use your word to change our lives. Bless, bless the time together this morning that we, we might really understand the blessings that you have for us, the, the things that you're doing that you want to do. We thank you. We praise you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We've been uh, in our study now of the book of James for a few weeks, uh, probably for a few months. And uh, I'm not going to go back and reintroduce the book or go back and redo the uh, first part of the chapter again. But I do want you to lay hold of what it is that we're looking at in the book of James. It's important uh, that we understand that what God is wanting to accomplish in your life is the promise that he makes to you. 
I don't know why, and I don't know when really that it became the predominant teaching in the United States of America that people would preach and teach that you are here to do your best, to try to please God's with your efforts, and that if you do enough of this, there's a decent chance that you might be able to find yourself in heaven someday. I, I don't really know why that, maybe it's just because that's the way man thinks about things. Maybe it's because it's the way natural man uh, still feels in his heart that he in some way can work up through his pride, through his works, some way to be able to approach God, but it's simply not true. There's not, and the Bible never has taught that, and the Bible doesn't teach that now. What we realize, if you go back one book, and you don't have to go back, but in your mind you can just turn a page probably and you can see it. If you go back one book in your Bible, you'll find yourself in the book of Hebrews. And Hebrews is the first general epistle, and it lays a foundational truth for us before you get to James, before you get into Peter, 2 Peter, John, 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 and Jude. Before you get to those books, God wants you to understand, listen, please hear me, God wants you to understand that you have a great high priest who has not only made an atonement for your sins and presented that atonement, and not only does he ever live to make intercession for you now, but importantly to you in today's life, he is pouring out a whole new life into your heart, a whole new you, a completely different creature. If you're born again, you are indeed a new creature. And God is, has made a specific change and given you the Holy Ghost. And God is pouring out into your life the ability to live in a way that you could never live on your own. You could not live this way. And he's not ever asking you to live this way in your own strength. He is asking you to let him live this way in his strength, in your body. In, he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your gifts, that you present your talents, that you present your abilities. It doesn't say any of that. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies. Let God make use of the body that you've made such lousy use of for so many years. Some of us, long after we were saved, we're still really making lousy use of our body while we tried in our own strength to please God. We, want, we double down on it. I really care about these things now, God. I really want to do the right thing. I really want you to be honored and glorified in my life, so I will work harder. I will try harder. And yet Romans chapter 7 makes it very, very clear. You can try as hard as you want, and the good that you wouldn't, Excuse me, the good that you would do, you won't do. And the evil that you wouldn't do, you'll still do that. Oh, wretched man that you not were, but are. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And the answer is, I thank God through Jesus Christ, my Lord. It is a spiritual work, and you're not by yourself spiritual. God is a spirit, and God, the Holy Ghost, lives within you to make this change. Now, you turn from Hebrews into James, and what God wants to make clear to you is this. That whole new quality of life, that whole new life, God intends for this to become your everyday life. Uh, my son Andrew gave testimony uh, Wednesday night. Uh, I'm going to kind of paraphrase what he said. He said he's beginning to really understand that God is not interested in him giving God um, the ability to work through his life where he works every week or so or every couple of weeks in a, in a wonderful way where people can see a change in his life, but that God wants him daily to deny himself, take up his cross, and follow him. And what he's saying is this. 
God is making it very clear that he's not interested in you having a good day every few days or every month or however that works out in your life. All of us recognize, and there's not a person in this room that doesn't understand. Uh, do you remember when you were young and you went to grandma's house? And just before you got to, and I don't know what it's like when you guys went to grandma's house, but when I went to grandma's house, don't touch anything. You know what I'm saying? Take your shoes off. I'm not, you know, take your shoes off when you first walk in. Don't take anything unless it's given to you. You know, play, say please, say thank you. I mean, just a list of all of these things. And of course, and most kids hate going to grandma's house because of this. It's like, wow, I'm going to jail, I think. You know what I'm saying? And so you'd listen. And so you'd go, listen, and you'd be on your quote unquote best behavior. So many people still go to church just like that. And that's not what God wants for you. What God wants is for you to let him change your heart, for him to make such a change within you that what would bubble over you, what would flow out of you, when people bump you, when they bump you, that what would come out would be God instead of you. See, when people bump you and people bump me, what comes out is me or what comes out is you. Anybody want to testify to how attractive that's not? Right. How about your extended family? Do they want to testify to how attractive? How about your immediate family? Do they want to testify to how attractive that's not? But bump Jesus. And what comes out? What comes out? And we beheld him full of grace and truth. And we saw his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the father, full of this grace and truth. This is our Lord Jesus. And now here's the wonderful thing. The same powerful spirit of God that lived within God himself, our Lord Jesus, now, if you're a new creature, now lives within you. And you don't have to try anymore. In fact, you need to stop trying. You need to start saying, Lord, I humble myself. I don't have the power to do what needs to be done. But here, listen, but it must be done. This is not a theory, and it's not enough to agree with it. God says, I want to change. Now, let me say this. In the book of James, what God is doing from the very beginning of the book of James is he is proving whether what you have is really the Holy Ghost living within you. If you are a new creature, the book of James says, then these things will be changing in your life. If you're not a new creature, then the Bible will make it clear to you you're not a new creature. Now, God does not want to rub your nose in the fact that you're not a new creature. He just doesn't want you to die like that. And it is a gracious God that says, you're playing church. You're pretending. You're going through the motions, but you're not a new creature. And I want to make you a new creature. I want to so change you that people would indeed behold your good works and they would glorify your Father which is in heaven because you can't make yourself like I want to make you. And so when they say to you, Jimbo, how long have you been saved? And you'd say, what is the change in my life that someone would say, how long have I been saved where I work? And the answer is, the Holy Ghost is the change in your life. And he deserves all the honor and the glory. You can't get any honor and glory out of this. Listen, I don't want to go into great detail about this, but God is perfectly willing for you to have all the glory you deserve. All of it. All of it. And I'll give it all to you right now. That was it. We just don't deserve any glory. Right? There's a reason why when all of the redeemed are completely new, in Revelation chapter 5, everyone who's saved has changed in the moment in the twinkling of the eye this corruption will put on incorruptible we will all have perfect knowledge at that point and at that point we will sing thou art worthy none of us are but you are 
but you are. And by thy blood thou hast redeemed us. You started this. You finished this. That's how I got here. I can't, literally, I can't wait for it. I really can't. I mean, honestly, I can't wait for it. You know, it's, it's, uh, it seems so funny to hear a young person sing Beulah Land. Amen. She said it's just a few more days. And I think she's probably got a few more days to do this than I do. Amen. Right. Yes. And I shall take my heavenly flight. There's some there's some that we love. There's some that are near and dear to our hearts who are right now under hospice care. And it won't be long now before they take that heavenly flight. It won't be long now before they leave here. But listen, listen, if if where they're going, and I believe in the case of the people that are in my mind right now, they are all going to this heavenly flight. When that takes place, it will have nothing to do with their good works. It'll have everything to do with the blood of Christ, with simple, humble, trusting him. And God says, if you have trusted me, I will change you. I will make you a new creature. And that's what we're seeing in the book of James. God making us a new creature. Again, there's so much I'd like to go back and say, but we don't have time to see this. What I want you to notice then, I'm going to draw just a couple of things. We're really going to look our, our, spend our morning together this morning looking primarily at chapter uh, 1, verses 26 and 27. But I need to read a couple of things to get us there. So let's start in verse 19. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, Slow to speak. You might want to circle slow to speak. Slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. We don't have time to go into this, but you need to understand this. The word of God is what changes you. Where it says, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. You must be saved by the word of God. You must be changed by the word of God. And this, this passage is actually saying, as you receive the word of God into your heart, it becomes a part of you. The living word, our Lord Jesus Christ, and the written word, your Bible, rise and fall in your life together. Please don't pretend that your relationship with God is good when your relationship with your Bible is not. Because whatever relationship you have with your Bible is the relationship that you have with our Lord Jesus Christ. And he fully intends to use his word to change your life. Right? Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And whatsoever is not of faith is Sin. I have no choice. I have no chance. I have no ability to ever do the right things except for as God changes me using his word to change my heart in life. So that's what it says. So listen, it says this. Stop talking so much. Start listening. Leave all of your wrath behind. Because listen, I'm telling you, fundamental Baptists need to hear this. The wrath of man does not work the righteousness of God. The world, listen, hear me, hear me. The world does not care what our rules are. And quite honestly, nor should it. But if you are a new creature, then you will be full of grace and truth, wonderfully combined together. And you will have a broken-hearted love for your coworker, not a holier-than-thou attitude towards your coworker. You are not better than anybody. Do you understand that? There is no one in this room, there is no one on this planet that is better than any other person on this planet. Your sins might not be the same as theirs, but your selfishness is just as bad as theirs is. 
God is very clear about this. Six things does the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination, and a proud look is number one. And yet the average church is full of people who are proud. God says, pour contempt on all of your pride. Recognize, recognize. If you have anything, if you have anything worth having, it was a gift. And God gave it to you. What are you bragging about? What have we to brag about? You want to, there's one, it's interesting, we don't have a lot of time to go into this. The word for glory typically is the word doxa, and it has the idea of majesty, right? So when you think of the word doxa, the doxology, you think that the idea is to glorify uh, in, in instrument and in word and in motion, you know, just lifting yourself up and saying, you are glorious God, we give you all the glory. But there's a couple in New Testament where the word glory it means actually to glory or to boast. And it's in, it's in 1 Corinthians. He that glorieth, he that actually boasts or brags, let him glory in this, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen? You want to brag about anything? Brag about the only thing worth bragging about. Not your church, not your denomination, not your King James Bible, not your works, nothing. Not the ministry God has called you to. You want to brag? Brag about Jesus. Amen. By the way, you can brag about Jesus all day long and not come close to talking about how good he is. Amen? And he is not just great. And he is great. He is good. Yes? Somebody walked up to him and said, good master. And he said, well, why do you call me good? Why do you? And by the way, it's okay to call him good. But why do you call me good? There's none good but God. And the young man could have said, okay, good master, because you are God and you alone are good. And it's okay to recognize that our Lord Jesus Christ is not just great. He is good. You spend more time in your Gospels. Spend a great deal of time in your Gospels. Start, start, listen, start recognizing how much you're not like this. Start recognizing how much you should just keep falling down and say, thou art worthy. Thou art worthy. I would have not behaved myself like that in that situation. I would have not have done that. You know, one of the things the other day I was just really laying hold of is when Jesus is ministering to the, he must needs go through Samaria. Oh, praise God for that. He must needs go through Samaria. He had to go through Samaria to meet this woman. By the way, not just the woman, but it all starts with this woman. His disciples go in to get food where this woman lives. He's out at the well where they walk out to get their water. He ministers to this woman. They come back. You know how many people the disciples brought to see Jesus when they came back from Samaria? You know how many people they brought? None. You know why? They didn't love the Samaritans. They didn't love the Samaritans. You know what? Even if you didn't love the Samaritans, wouldn't you bring them back to meet Jesus? Just because he's worthy of being met? They brought nobody. Nobody. That woman gets saved. She goes back within a couple of hours. She has half the city out there to meet Jesus. Amen? I'm just saying. Receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. But be ye doers of the word and not here is only deceiving your own selves. We underline slow to speak in verse 19, underline deceiving your own selves in verse 22. Notice this if you're not doing what God says, it doesn't matter that you assent to it. It doesn't matter that you nod your head and agree. It doesn't matter. If it isn't changing you, it doesn't matter. If it isn't changing you, it doesn't matter. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, now we talked about this, like a man that beholding his natural face in a glass, and behold, and for he beholdeth himself and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he is. But whoso looketh into, and again, I, if I were you, I'd underline looketh into, and I'd write in the margin to stoop down and lean in. To stoop down and to lean in. 
Because that's what it means. The idea of uh, whoso looketh into, the, the, the actual Greek word means to stoop down and to lean in. And what God wants you to stop doing is stop looking at yourself. And start looking instead into the perfect law of liberty. The word of God which sets you free. What a tremendous phrase here. The perfect law of liberty. Again, I can't preach last week's sermon again this week. But it's important that you understand that the word of God is not a bunch of do's and don'ts. It's here to set you free. But free from sin. Free from you. Free to serve God as he would have you to. But... And uh, who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continue with Aaron. He being not a forgetful here, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Now we get to verse 26. And this is a really, really telling passage. I want you to go back to the beginning of the chapter in your mind for just a moment. The beginning of the chapter starts out with this. In verse 2, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Listen, when you're first saved, when you're first saved, and all the things you used to love, you don't love them anymore. They're now a problem. They, they really are. They're now a problem. You don't understand why they're a problem. Here's what happens. You know, the things that I used to do, I don't know what they were in your life. I just won't do them anymore. And yet they kind of hound you, right? They just kind of like nag at you. And they want to have victory in your life. No, no, me, me, me. Pick me back up again. You should have me in your life. I'm important in your life. And the answer is, you were terrible in my life. I don't want anything to do with you anymore. And so it says, count it all joy when you find yourself falling into these different temptations. Suddenly, the things that you did without any problem at all, they're now a great big problem in your life. And God says, don't, listen, hear me, listen, please hear me. Don't be afraid when that happens. Because that's the starting point. When you realize that the things that you used to love, you don't love them anymore, but they didn't just leave you alone, don't be afraid. And by the way, don't be afraid to find somebody else that you can talk to about that. See here, listen, there's so many young Christians who have the same failure over and over and over and over again in their life. And because they know they shouldn't have this failure over and over and over again in their life, they don't tell anybody. And so people give up to give testimonies. And they give testimonies like this. I used to be a terrible person, but now I'm awesome. <laughs> and my life is perfect and great. See me if you'd like to talk about it. Amen? Because there's not enough honesty in our testimonies. There's not enough where people... We have, we have a meeting on, on Friday night, which, by the way, we're moving to Tuesday night starting this week. Tuesday night at 7 o'clock, any man who'd like to come and join us will be meeting out in the module behind the church. Excuse me? Did I say Thursday? Oh, I apologize. I'm losing my mind. I apologize. Tuesday, there's a class. Tuesday, is a class in the large classroom that we teach. If you want to come to that, that's at 7 o'clock also. <laughs> you can come to that. If you come Thursday night, men, Thursday night at 7 o'clock, we'll meet out in the module. And the Thursday night time that we have, listen, this is, this is what happens. It's a very honest time. It is, a, it is a wonderful time in the Word of God, but because everybody who's come to it historically has been honest about their own shortcomings... It allows for us to talk about things that we're not worried about whether somebody else is going to talk about it. Nobody leaves that room and says, I was pretty honest today. I hope nobody says anything about that. I hope nobody goes home and share that with their wife or their kids or anybody else in the church because that was kind of really true about me in my life. Let me, listen, listen. We need to be able to have these conversations. You need to be able to have these conversations. You need to be able to honestly say to somebody else, brother, I've not ever had any victory in my life about this right here. I've not ever had the victory that I'm supposed to have. You know, there's, a, there's a, a family visiting our church right now. I was speaking to them 
on uh, Wednesday night, and the wife said, you know, your wife is like, not like most pastors' wives. And she's just really honest. Now, she's not, they're not saying that other pastors' wives are not honest. And let me tell you why pastors' wives are so closed, because they've been hurt by so many people. But we've got, listen, we have got to get past our pride. We have got to be able to love one another. You've got to be able to come and say to somebody else in the church, I'm not winning this battle. I'm not winning this battle. I promise you they're not winning this battle either all the time. Now listen, I'm not making light of what Christ is doing. I'm not. But I'm just telling you, if you'll be honest, you'll recognize that from the time you were saved, you wish you could have more victory in certain places in your life. And God said, don't, don't let that bother you. I'm going to change everything. And if you lack, he says, if you lack wisdom, ask me and I'll help you. I'll help you. I will help you. I promise to help you. But trust me. God is not interested in us having to trust each other. He is interested in us being able to share with each other, pray for each other, bear one another's burdens. Every joint fitly supplying that we might be edified together in love. He is. But he wants us to understand he's the power for all of this. Amen. If I let the Lord Jesus use this vessel unto honor and he helps you, I didn't help you. Jesus did. But I did let him help you using me. Amen? Again, what glory is that? I mean, again, you know, here's this cup. And what I want is actually in the cup. Do you understand? And the cup was picked. Malcolm picked the cup, right? Malcolm put ice and water in this cup. We actually just put ice, so it's all melted ice. So Malcolm put ice in this cup this morning. But it's the liquid that's profitable, right? I don't go around saying, oh, man, you guys should hold this cup. It's awesome. But I may drink it. And say, wow, I bet you wish you had that. That was remarkable. Do you understand? We're just the cups. But I'd, listen, listen, honestly, I'd rather be a, a clean cup with the Holy Ghost filling me so that Jesus can pick me up and put me in front of somebody else and say, hey, I'm going to help you right now. Amen? But who gets the glory? Not me. Again, you know, I know I've said this all the time, but you, know, you look around, you see the crown molding? I can tell you the guy did the crown molding. We don't, oh man, it must have been an awesome saw that he had. I bet his nail gun was super. No, it's the guy who did the crown molding that did a good job. And skilled carpenters don't even need great tools to do a good job because they're skilled carpenters. We are his workmanship. Amen? Not my workmanship, not your workmanship. We are his workmanship. Jesus is the one that gets all the honor and glory. Let him make the change. Let him make this kind of a difference in your life. If any man among you seem to be religious. Now it says any man. If any man among you seem to be religious. And by the word it says seem to be religious. I love that. God is so honest. If any man among you seem to be religious. Let's just talk about that for a minute. The word seem to be means think. Okay. And this is what it's actually saying. If you think somebody around you looks like they're being religious. Well, maybe not. That's what it's saying, okay? If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his own tongue. Now, I want to talk to you for just a moment about the idea of being religious. The word religion does not show up very much in your New Testament. It does show up in two places. Once it's translated religion and once it's translating worship. Turn to Acts 26, verse 5. Just for a moment, turn there quickly. Or write it down because I'm going there quickly. Acts 26, 5. 
which knew me from the beginning. The Apostle Paul is talking about what it was like before he was saved, which knew me from the beginning. If they would testify, if the people that knew me before I was saved would testify about my life, they would say that after the most straightest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. So what he's saying is this. I had great religious activity in my life before I was saved. Great religious activity. The other time that it's shown is in Colossians chapter 2, verse 18. It says, let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility and worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. And this is talking about, again, a, 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 a misunderstanding of the idea of what it means to be religious. Religion is not a bad thing if it's understood as to what it actually would mean. That's the thing. The problem is almost all religion in the world is actually quite dangerous. ISIS is full of religion, and it's a terribly tragic thing. Yes? No? Yeah? Many, many people that hurt people hurt people in the name of God. It's a false God, but they still hurt people in the name of God. And they have a very strong religious activity. And what God is saying, if any man around you... If he, if he makes a point of how religious he is, check what he talks about. Check how he lives his life. If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue. Notice how this takes us back to verse 19. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, because God has changed your life, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. So what God is saying is if you bridle not your tongue, if you bridle not your tongue, then why can't you shut your mouth? Why can't you shut up? Well, because, you know, he really needs to hear what I've got to say. She really needs to know what's wrong with her life, and I'm here to fix it. And God said, yeah, really, good for you. Not so good for them. Not so good for you eternally either, by the way. One of the things that happens in the, in the lives of people who are really born again is this. They really, really love other people. And sin in other people's lives breaks their heart but they do not feel qualified to talk about it because they know that in them, that is in their flesh, there dwelleth no good thing. Now, eventually, the Holy Ghost will, may burden them. After much prayer and weeping for them, the Holy Ghost may burden them to actually talk to them. But when they talk to them, all they will care about is their good, not showing off what I know. Have you ever met that person? Anybody? Ever been that person? Show, listen, let me just tell you. I've learned some things about the Bible, and Kenny, it's time for you to learn them today too. Amen? We've all met that person. We, some of us have been that person. Why can't you bridle your tongue? You know, there's, there, 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 there's, I gotta say, the one thing that hurts churches, the one thing that's hurt this church more than anything else since I've been here is people hurting each other with their tongues. Gossip or, or mean-spirited conversations or just holier-than-thou attitude. It's the one thing that hurts more than anything. And by the way, Jesus wants nothing to do with any of it. None of it. None of it. None of it, none of it, none of it. When someone comes up to you and wants to share some gossip, you be the person that says, please, I don't... I, listen, you don't have to be, I'm better than that. Don't tell me about your gossip. Just say, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think... I'm not sure that that's going to help so-and-so for you to tell me about that. I don't know that it'll help them. I don't know that I care to know about that. But I will be praying for you and for them. 
We're so busy going around trying to get people to understand things or, or not really understand things, lean the way we lean on something. You know, again, I don't, I don't want to go into great detail. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this. But when Abraham Lincoln was president of the United States and people asked him, literally a reporter asked him whether God was on the north side or whether God was on the south side, Abraham Lincoln said, God's not on anybody's side. The question is, are either one of us on his side? Amen? So what matters is, are you doing what the Lord would have you to do? And if you are, he says, close your mouth. Be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Now, what I want you to notice is this. If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, this is what it says, but deceiveth his own heart. Notice how this connects with verse 22. You can just look. It's right there in your Bible. Look back at verse 22. But be ye doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. I said this then, and I'll say it again now. Listen, listen. When you deceive yourself, you don't actually deceive anybody else, right? When, listen, when people pretend, and, and we've all seen this, we, some of us have been, we've maybe been guilty of doing it. When people pretend, the people around you, I'm telling you, they are just too embarrassed to say anything about it, right? You've been around, you ever been around somebody and you know they're pretending? And you don't say, you're pretending. You know why? Because it's that awkward, you know, that, oh man, man, that's so awkward, Right? I have this, you know, my, my, my children will tell you, I have this terrible, terrible social awkward um, radar type of a thing. People do something that's socially awkward and it's like, oh, oh, my head starts to hurt. You know what I'm saying? It's like, oh, I got to get out of this situation right now. They're embarrassing themselves. They don't know they're embarrassing themselves. This is, this is tragic. Amen. Tragic, tragic, tragic. And I tried to never do it myself, if you understand what I'm saying. People who can't be quiet, people who are pretending we unrecognize what that looks like, and God wants to deliver us from all of it, all of it, where you're not pretending, and you can actually be a help to one another. But you deceive yourself and nobody else. And this is what it closes with. If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Now, you might want to underline this. This man's religion is vain. Jesus's religion is not vain. But the man who can't be quiet, his religion is vain. The person who wants to be seen, the person who wants to be a somebody all the time, their religion is vain. But Jesus's is not vain. Because the Bible's going to go on and say, I want you to see what it looks like. I want you to see what it looks like. But before we can look at what, what, what true religion, what pure religion looks like, first we have to understand the word vain for just a moment. And I'm, I'm going I'm to give you some passages. This is really kind of important. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on them. I spend a lot of time on them in my notes. But I'm not going to spend Write them down. You write them down. I'm going to read them quickly. You turn to them later and just look at them. But I'm going to make a statement about each one of them. It's places where the word vanity shows up in your New Testament. Acts 14, 15 says, saying, sirs, why do you these things? This is, this, is the, this is people talking to the Gentiles about their false religions. We also are men of like passions with you and preach unto you that you should turn from these vanities unto the living God, which made heaven and earth and sea and all the things that are in. And here's the statement. The religion of the Gentiles is vain. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 20. And again... The Lord knoweth the thoughts of the wise, this is worldly wisdom, that they are vain. The wisdom of the natural man is vain. The religion of the Gentiles is vain, and the wisdom of the natural man is vain. This is what God says. 1 Corinthians 15, 17. And if Christ, 
be not raised. In other words, if Jesus died and isn't resurrected, then your faith is in vain. Ye are yet in your sins. Christianity without a living Christ is vain. Titus 3.9, but avoid foolish questions and genealogies and, and, and contentions and striving about the law, for they are unprofitable and vain. Isms and schisms are vain. There are so many places in, listen, this is, just hear me. There are so many places in America today where you can go and learn a system of theology, if you understand what I'm saying. And I don't, I'm not going to go into any names, you know what I'm saying? Um, but it, they usually end in ism, right? And so the Bible's saying this. Stop arguing about this point in the Bible and about this point in the Bible and about this point in the Bible and start letting Christ conform you to the image that God wants to make in you instead. Because all of your arguing, all of your fighting about this point and that point and this point, it's vain. Now, again, I'm not saying that. The Bible is saying this. That's exactly what it's saying. But avoid foolish questions and genealogies and contentions and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and vain. And then the last one is in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18. For as, you, for as much as you know that you are not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by the tradition of your fathers. And that's, by the way, the Hebrews. The religion of the Hebrews is vain. And when I say the religion of the Hebrews, don't get me wrong, the Old Testament is not vain, but what the, what the Hebrews had turned it into, that was vain. Do you understand? Listen, hear me. Do you realize that almost all cults in the world use a Bible? Do you understand? You can turn the Bible into terrible vanity. You can turn the Bible into terrible, terrible lies instead of the truth that is in if you let men tell you what it's about instead of let God tell you what it's about. What God wants you to understand is this. Listen, religion in men's hands is vain. Gentiles, Jews. Any religion where Christ is not alive today, any religion where Jesus is not God Almighty, all vain. All vain. And spending your time arguing about this, my favorite point in the Bible, is also vain. So God says that's what it looks like to have vain religion. But let's talk about what it doesn't look like. Let's talk about pure religion and undefiled. Let's talk about that for just a moment. By the way, let me say this. Before I say everything I'm getting ready to say about pure religion and undefiled, you've never done this. Okay? There is a pure, pure religion and undefiled, and Jesus did it. Okay? You can do much of it, but you better never, ever, ever stand before God with your good works. Do you understand what I'm saying? Do you understand? Listen, I'm, I'm, I don't have time. I, I really need to say this. The greatest offering that was ever brought to God, I believe, the greatest offering that was ever brought to God, Cain brought. It was also the first offering that was ever brought to God. Before Abel brought blood, Cain brought a basket of fruit and vegetables. And I really believe it is the best fruit and vegetables that have ever been grown anywhere, ever, ever, ever. You grow organic vegetables today. You say, my organic tomatoes, you should see them. They're wonderful. They don't beat Cain's organic vegetables that he grew. Just because the time between when those grew and when yours grew, the bugs have really got bad. Okay? I believe that the basket, listen, I mean this with all my heart. I believe the basket of fruit that Cain brought was the best offering that has ever been brought to God except for the blood. And here's what God said at the very beginning. He said, he started, he said to Cain, Cain, nobody's ever going to bring me their best offering and it be received. You cannot approach me in your good works. You can't. You cannot approach me in your good works. Listen to me. 
Should your life be full of good works? It should be full of good works. Can you approach God with them? No. You better approach God with the blood. Always. I can come boldly to the throne of grace because I handed out tracts today, because I was really kind to my wife today, because I called my mother and told her I loved her, because I preached a really good message this morning and my heart is just really, really warm and fuzzy. Now I can go boldly to the throne of grace. No, you can't. No, you can't. No, you can't. If you walk, listen, take all those things I just said, put them in a big basket, walk into the Holy of Holies with them and look at the basket. And I promise you, you will walk back outside with your own basket and throw it on the ground and say, what was I thinking? I cannot bring my good works into the Holy of Holies. Only the blood can go into the Holy of Holies. And now I will go back in and I will fall on my face and I'll thank God for the blood of Jesus Christ that cleansed me from all my sin. But I can come boldly to the throne of grace, but not because of my works, but because of the blood. By the way, let's say you had a bad day instead of a good day. Guess what? You can still go boldly to the throne of grace. You want to know why? Because the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. I don't go in there because of my goodness. I go in there because of his goodness. And yet our life should be full. The Bible is about to say your life should be full of good works. And here's what they look like. But don't ever bring them to God because Jesus already did. Amen. Everything that needs to be done for you, Jesus did it already. If your life becomes a wonderful life, a remarkable life, many people look at it and, and many people are saved and many things are great. Still, don't ever bring your works to God. Never. Never, never. Be glad for them. Be grateful that you get to do anything at all for God in the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Be grateful. Be glad about it. But never bring them to God. Never. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. So pure religion, not vain religion, not the empty religion that we were just talking about, but pure religion, pure and clean religious, undefiled before God. This means Pious and holy. It speaks of our actual relationship toward God himself. And this is what it says. You want pure religion and undefiled before God the Father? This is what it says. To visit. Now let's stop just here for a moment. To visit. And the word visit means to go and care for. The idea of visit is not simply to go. It's to care for. Now let me, I'm going to stop here for just a moment. <clears throat> let's say you're going to go see Mrs. Taylor. Okay, Mrs. Taylor is over at uh, uh, Greenfield, right? It's a, it's, a, it's a nursing home. You're going to go see Mrs. Taylor. I don't even know what room number she is. You, you go to the hall to the right. You walk down that hall. You turn to the left for a second. Second room, you walk in. If that's not it, go to the next room after that. But, you know, just keep going. You'll find her, right? And say hi to whoever room you walk into. Amen? So you go over there to help. Listen, listen. Say, I don't know what to do when I get there. I don't know what to do when I get there. And here's the answer. Can you love her when you get there? Do you understand? Pure religion and undefiled before God is to this, is to visit the who? The fatherless and the widows. Now, by the way, let me sum that up for you. People who can't reward you for doing it. Do you understand? We, listen, hear me, hear me. People want to, listen, and pre preachers are full of this. I don't mean to be unkind, but there are many churches where people, like you visit the church and it's like, what do you do for a living? Oh, I, I'm a doctor. My wife's a doctor. My son's a doctor. My daughter's a doctor. Really, I'll come visit you next week. Twice. Amen. Love to have you part of our church, right? What do you do? I've been looking for a job, preacher. It's really been hard. My wife and I are working really hard. We're struggling really hard. We're really having a difficult time. Yeah, I hope that works out for you. See, we have a tendency to want to visit those who can repay us for our visit. But that's not pure religion and undefiled. Pure religion and undefiled is to go help people who cannot help you back. To go care for those who cannot care for themselves and will never be able to give back to you what you give to them. 
Why, now, why, is, why do you suppose that matters? Because, listen, because this. God says to visit them in their afflictions. They are afflictions. And God knows they are afflictions. And he completely expects to be able to use vessels to carry his love into their life. Amen? So here's, here's what I want you to understand. God wants to give Mrs. Taylor a drink of cold water because he loves her. And he fully expects one of us to say, Lord, I'll go into her room. You give her that love. Amen? I don't have the power to love her, but I am willing to go into the room and let you do it through me. I will go. I will let you do it because you are worthy and she needs the good. Amen? That's, that's pure religion and undefiled. It's to go and visit and help someone who can't help themselves, not in your power, but in the Lord Jesus Christ's power. And that's what God wants to accomplish. So what I, and again, we're going we're gonna to be done for this morning. But what I want you to notice is this. What begins with don't be afraid when you don't have all victory in your life. Don't be afraid now that things are different. Now that the things that you used to love, you don't love them anymore. Now that there's conflict in your life and this wickedness, I'm going to win that in your life. And by the way, it's okay to go help other people. Because I will give you the strength to do so. I will love them. I do love them. That's why I'm sending you. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this. To visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction. And then this. To keep himself unspotted from the world. You tell me what that means in your life. I mean, honestly, you tell me what that means in your life. What has to go in your life? You know what it is. I don't have to tell you what it is. In fact, I couldn't tell you what it was. And let me, tell, let me tell you this. The only way that things that need to go in your life are going to go in your life is if your love for God becomes greater than your love for God is right now. Amen? Let me, let me say, listen, because you will have your heart's desire. You will. No matter what it is. It could be golf. Right? I can't play golf. I, I just can't see well enough to play golf. I, I couldn't play golf well when I could see, but I can't see go- well enough to play golf. Right? And there's nothing wrong with playing golf. But if it runs your life, there's something wrong with it. And I just use that because I don't think anybody here has that problem. If you do, well, that was for you. (laughs) But there are things, listen, there are things, listen, listen, listen. There are things that remain unspotted from the world. There are things in our life that God says, I I just want this to go in your life. And listen, listen, the only way that's ever going to become true in your life is if he matters more than that does. Because listen, listen, you will have what you love most. You'll have what you love most. I love God. That may, you, may, you, may, you may really mean that. I love God, but I love this more. And God says, then, that, then that's what you'll have. And that's what you'll have. Then, then that's what you'll have. And by the way, if you're going to have your way, you're probably not going to go see Mrs. Taylor either. You understand what I'm saying? God wants to give tremendous victory in our life. Just tremendous victory. Now, I know, uh, it's funny because it's interesting. The book of James is one of those books where if we're being honest, while God is ministering in our hearts through the book of James, you have to say, oh, yeah, I'm not doing really good there. Oh, yeah, I'm not doing really good there either. But listen, 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 listen. The purpose of the book of James isn't to see how good you're doing. It's that you can understand that God can make the difference in your life. Do you understand? If, unless, listen, unless you're not saved, and then you got to get saved. Because otherwise you'll never have the power to have this change in your life. Because this power is the spiritual power that God gives to his children. This is not something that natural man can do. So you must be born again in order for these things to be true in your life. But if they are, if they are, if they are, God says don't have vain religion. Instead, 
let me give you a power that changes everything. The power that you see in our Lord Jesus Christ. 